Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Conversation With, a Film Effect podcast series where we sit down with our favorite people in film and have a good old-fashioned conversation with them to talk about their careers, ask the questions that have always lingered in our minds, and have a good time above all else. For this episode, we have an opportunity to sit down with one of our all-time favorite genre actresses. Starting from the top, you can't mention our guest without talking about her career in Broadway, beginning in the late 60s with Fiddle on the Roof, which she did until 1971. Enter 1972, a massive year for our guest, where she'd land the role in the original run of Grease on Broadway as Betty Rizzo until 1980. That was also a year she landed the role of Carol Trainer on the show Maud, playing the daughter of B. Arthur Titchell character for much of the show's run. After a bunch of television appearances and made-for-TV roles throughout the 70s, she switched gears into acting and feature-length films. From her iconic performance as Stevie Wayne in her feature film debut in Carpenter's The Fog, to her role as Billy in Creepshow, she's put in some serious work in the industry, and it shows with performances in films like Escape from New York, The Cannonball Run, Back to School, and Swamp Thing. I can go on and on about this guest from her many other Broadway performances to the video game roles I didn't even mention. She has a new book coming out this month that she co-wrote with a couple of other names, but more on that coming up. And now it's a true honor to be able to do this and with someone that we've always looked up to. And without further ado, this is a conversation with the iconic Adrian Barbo. Oh, just call me Billy. Everyone does. Billy? You need someone to show you the ropes, huh? And you just come see me. I know all the best stores. Well, uh, nice to meet you. Um, pleasure to meet you. So, you buying or renting? Oh, well, actually, we're renting at the moment. Ah, uh, it's just as well. Buying real estate in a college town is a friggin' pain in the ass. You take my word for it. Henry is in the English department, and Wilma... Oh, I just take care of Henry. Believe me, he needs it. <laughs> Did you ever meet a man who didn't? <laughs> What's the matter with you two? You're not drinking? Well, actually, we just got here. Oh, well, we can take care of that. You just come on with me. Henry, you stay here till I get back. First and foremost, how are you doing today, Ian? Well, after that introduction, I'm doing just great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much for doing this. Um, yeah, it's an honor. It, it, it's an it's, honor to be talking yeah, it means with you. A lot. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Corey. <laughs> um, I just want to start with a couple questions off the cuff, and then we can chat about this book of yours coming out on June 7th. Sound good? Sure. All right. Um, listen, I, I can't seem to shake off the word iconic in my head. What does it mean to you whenever you hear that word used to describe you or your career? Like, In other words, I guess, do you feel like you've paved the way for other up-and-coming actresses? You know... <laughs> When I first saw that word coupled with my name, it was like, what? What? Uh, uh, no, I'm not. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great um, honor. It may just be because I happen to stick around this long, but, yeah. um, but I'll take it, you know? Whether or not I paved the way for other actresses, I guess if, if I do look back at uh, at Swamp Thing or or maybe even Escape from New York, it was a time when there weren't a lot of uh, women 
kicking butt and, right. uh, and using uh, using an AK-47 or whatever. I, <laughs> I don't think it was that. But um, uh, and so maybe that was, uh, you know, a beginning. I was certainly uh, Sigourney Weaver led the way with Alien. But um, but it's fun to think that 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 was sort of a beginning for a change in in mm-hmm. and and to bring us up to date now i mean now if you don't have the woman as the heroine you know it's <laughs> it's like an outdated right. show or something so i'm 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 very pleased to be a part of all of that <laughs> um one of my favorite films of the last decade is Ben Affleck's Argo ah. film, which of, of course features you in a very small but hilarious scene with the legendary Alan Arkin. Um, first off, how did you get that role? Is there a story behind it that you can share? And w- what was it like I, sharing the screen I with think, Alan Arkin? I it? think there is a, a little story that I can share. I got the role because I, you know, I went in and auditioned for it. Uh, okay. The casting director called me in and auditioned for it. And I, I sort of had a feeling for it, for for the Cirque the witch part, certainly, you know, the video game. Uh, I guess we were doing a No, no, we were doing a sci-fi film. That's what. what yeah, right? yeah. The, the fake and um, I did hear later that one of the reasons Ben cast me was because I hadn't had any work done on my face. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted an actress, you know, who looked Naturally. my age and looked real. Right. And so that that was great. My other sort of favorite story about Argo for your audience. Well, hopefully it, most of your audience saw it because it was an Academy Award winner. But uh, we, it is my portion was we were doing a film within the film. And it, mm-hmm. the whole, the entire film took place in the seventies, and um, we were doing a science fiction film within the real film of Argo. Right. I walked on the set, and there was one of the atmosphere actors, one of the extras, wearing my jumpsuit from Cannonball Run. And, wow. and I went to the cast and to the costumer and I said, uh, is that, did you, you know, and she said, yes, we got it from Warner Brothers or whatever studio it was that, that produced Cannonball Run. I don't remember. And, you know, the, the extra was playing, a, it was sort of a sci-fi thing. And here she was in my, that's an iconic jumpsuit. And oh, I agree. she was at least six inches taller than I was. And I said to the costumer, how did, how, how did you get it to fit? And she said, we've got her in high white boots, you know, and uh, because it's, it's coming up about half of half her calf. I don't know if anyone sees the film, if they will see her in the background, but I really got a kick out of that. Uh, but I, it's so nice of you to talk about Argo because Rarely does anyone ever mention that in when they're talking about you know the the movies that I've done, and I was uh, I was I was excited to be a, a small part of it and to work with Alan and to work with John yeah. Goodman. I mean, uh, right? You know, it was a it was a fun day on the set. And hey, it went on to win Best Picture. Yes, 
and you know, you had a role and, in the best picture, and, and it's a, it's a fascinating story, and it is, it really is, really well told by Ben. When I I read the you know I read the first draft or the the, the screenplay, and then saw the film, and he added so much to it. He he really. He it was really uh, he did a great job directing that film. He's a phenomenal filmmaker above all. Like he's yet to make a bad film, in my opinion. From Gone Baby Gone to The Town, and then Argo, and because he, he doesn't he doesn't have that many movies. He's only had four. Because after Argo, he did a film called Live by Night, which was kind of like a mobster sort of like story that was uh, adapted from a book that didn't do too much business, unfortunately, and um, was kind of a bomb. And, um, and it's unfortunate because he hasn't done a film since. And I just think, you know, he's just a great filmmaker. He's a good actor, but, like, I just think when it comes to him directing, he, you know, there's a reason that he's flawless with his movies. Yes. Because yeah. I, there's, I mean, you know firsthand, you worked with him, so he directed you. Yes. <laughs> you <know? laughs> So that's just uh, that's just so cool, and like you said, to share the screen with Alan Arkin and John Goodman. That's just you know, it's a small role, but it's 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 a funny one. It's a good you know. Yeah, it was, it was great just, fun. It really was great fun. I'm sure it was. Um, now let's talk about the big reason that you agreed to do this with us, and that is your new book that you co-wrote with uh, Kane Kane Wiseman and Tom Moore. Actually, I right? I co-wrote it with. Many, many, many people. Okay, um, I saw I saw the three names and I wrote that we, down. We collaborated on, we edited it. Let's say um, we we did contribute to it as well. But um, the book is called Greece. Tell me more. Tell me more. And it is a collection of stories from more than a hundred actors and crew members and musicians who appeared in the first Broadway production of Greece, and then the touring companies that followed immediately after that. Many names you will find very familiar. You know, probably everyone knows John Travolta and Johnny, mm -hmm. Johnny was duty in the first national company of Greece before he went on to do the movie as Zuko. But um, Mary Lou Henner, Treat Williams, uh, Richard Cox, uh, Peter Gallagher, uh, so many of the people who were in that original production and in those uh, touring companies, Alan Paul from Manhattan Transfer, um, Eileen Kristen, big soap star so many of them went on to have you know careers in in the same industry and so many others went on to have great careers as writers and sitcom writers and directors walter bobby and and um jerry zacks and uh what it came about because when the pandemic hit and everything shut down the original cast members decided to have a uh, a Zoom reunion, you know, ah, and, okay. and I hesitantly <laughs> approached my computer and thought, oh, I'm going to last about 45 minutes on this because I, I wasn't a big fan of Zoom 
Zoom calls, especially in those days when it was all just getting started. Well, mm -hmm. we were on the screen. We were talking to each other for four hours. And for me, especially yeah. because I left the show fairly early on to go off and do mod, um, we they there were stories that I had never heard that were hysterically funny, touching, moving, and it just it was a, it was an incredible evening. And the next morning, I got up and I thought, you know, this is a book. I mean, these stories should be should be shared. I think there would be an audience for that. And so I sent out a an email to everybody that had been at the Zoom meeting. And I said, what do you guys think? You know, I mean, these stories really, stories about auditioning, stories about what was going on backstage, stories about how they felt when we got bad notices and we thought we were going to close, all of those kinds of things. And that same day, the director, Tom Moore, called me and he said, uh, I'm sorry you even sent that, that, that thing out because I've been uh, thinking about doing this for a couple of years. And, um, you know, it shouldn't just be the, the, the original Broadway cast. It should be all of the people who, uh, you know, were in the shows. And I said, that's great, Tom, you should write it. And he said, no, 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 I can't write it without you. You know, uh, okay, all right, we'll do this together. And then we brought in Ken Waisman, who was, who produced uh, Greece, along with his uh, his partner Maxine Fox, and Ken has one of those steel trap memories, and so we knew that you know he would know everything that we didn't know, <laughs> and um, hmm. he also had access to over you know three hundred production photos that people no one had ever seen. So we um, you know I called my my uh, literary agent having, because I have, I have, my, my memoir has been published and then I have a, a vampire series that I wrote and uh, she handled them all. And I called her and I said, you think you could sell a book about Greece? And she said, I can sell that in a minute. This was at the height of the uh, <laughs> pandemic. And, you know, right. she said, everybody's so burned out on politics and health. I can sell that in a minute. And she did. And so then we reached out to all of these actors and musicians and um, had them write their story, write their memories. And we, you know, we worked with them on some of the stories, sent it back to them and said, you know, what about this? And can we do this? And we put it together. And I'm assuming it was a total this, coincidence this that you're releasing it on the 50th anniversary, right? This is that's why we decided to do it, and um, a portion <laughs> of the sales will go to the Actors Fund because so many nice. people contributed, you know. Um, right. And uh, yeah, it's in honor of Greece. Well, it was actually February 14th of this year, Valentine's Day. Yeah, Greece opened. I had that. I wrote that down. Yeah. That was the the day when it started. Greece opened downtown, um, but we we couldn't get we couldn't get it published in time for that. So uh, actually, yeah. this next week is 50 years that it moved from the Eaton Theater downtown to the Royale on Broadway. So, so it's 50 years of something still. <laughs> 50 years of, I didn't hear you. 
it's still 50 years of something. It's You're 50 still years. Yep. Yeah. It's 50 years that this show has been right. running. And right. That's great. And what was really so special about the show is that so many of us, almost all of us who appeared in any of those early productions have maintained our friendships. And so it, it really is sort of a, a an oral history of a huge family of performers. Right. That's that, and it sounds like a family. It really does. Um, now, do you prefer acting on stage or in television and film? You know, for me, it, it really comes down to the words and the role. But mm -hmm. if you were to offer me the same role in a film as on stage, I'd probably take the film because I don't mind getting up at 4.30 in the morning and working <laughs> right. all day, but having to get my energy up to go on stage at seven or eight o'clock at night is, <laughs> I'd rather be right. doing it during the day. So, but you know, the right role comes along it, back. In fact, I was, I was just telling you, Ed, that um, back in 2016, I was given the opportunity to play Pippin's grandmother in the national tour of Pippin. And that role had me hanging upside down from a trapeze, singing my song and doing a whole trapeze <laughs> act with no net at, you know, wow. at my age. <laughs> and, uh, right, right. That's not something you can turn down, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, what, go back to the book real quick. What do you want readers to take from it after they finished the book? Is there, is like, a, is there a message particularly you wanted to get across? Like, you know, there's gotta be a reason behind why you wrote it. You know, um, like, I don't know. Like, what, what is that one thing you want? If there's one thing, let's, let's, let's ask it that way. If there's one thing you want the reader to take after they read the book. What is it? Well, I just want them to be entertained, and it is truly an entertaining book. But I, Fair enough. But I have heard from other people who have read it that it is, it's also a, uh, it could be a handbook for actors, you know, I mean, to, to realize what, what all of us went through with those, those, mm -hmm. those auditions that went on for six or seven hours and then went on another three days, you know, uh, and, and, and what, people were doing and how they had been. I, I think Alan Paul was the one who tells the story about how he had just, he had auditioned for Jesus Christ Superstar, I think it was 13 times and hadn't been hired. And so when they called him to audition for this, he thought, my career is is at an end, you know, this, this isn't gonna happen. And then of course, you know, it, everything blossomed from there. So it is, it, it's, um, it's a real look backstage. It's, uh, there's some hysterically funny things that happen and some, some, you know, some tragedies and, uh, right. So, but I, I don't think I have, I never approached it as, uh, what do I want people to get out of it? I just, I just wanted to tell sure the stories right. and have everybody, you know, enjoy them. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's, nothing wrong with that at all so you know as, as long as someone takes you know some sort of inspiration from at least one of the stories then you're a happy camper right yes yeah <laughs> hey, 
Fair enough. Uh, now I have one more question that pertains to writing, and and um, then I can pass it on to Corey because I'm sure he has a couple questions he wants to ask. Uh, now, as you mentioned before, this isn't your first time dabbling in writing. In 2006 is when you released your autobiography called uh, "There Are Worse Things I Could Do." Yep. Correct. All right, and then between 2008 and 2015, you released uh, three novels in your own Vampires of Hollywood series. Yeah. <laughs> has now has writing uh, has writing this inspired you to like write a follow up autobiography or perhaps another entry in the Vampire series? There won't be another entry in the Vampire series. I I finished that. Um, okay. Sometimes I think about, as I think Bette Midler did, uh, you know, Bette wrote, uh, um, if, I, if I remember correctly, she wrote a memoir early on, and then I think she added to it later on. And sometimes I think about that, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. I, I even though I have now five books to my name, but or four books and and one collaboration and as an editor, uh, I don't think of myself as a writer. I mean, I know I can write certain things, and I'm a great editor. Uh, I did just finish with um, Harrison Smith, who you may know from uh, Death House, and uh, Harrison has directed. I was actually, I was going to bring him up yeah, because he's I, actually, uh, uh, I talked to him personally on Twitter. Oh, so. okay. Well, Harrison and I, we did just finish um, a pilot script for uh, a, a series based on my second novel, Love Bites. We originally okay. wrote it as a movie and then uh, we started getting interest in it as a uh, series. And so just finish the final rewrite on that and but you know I don't I don't I don't think of myself as a writer hey there's nothing wrong with that at all nothing wrong at all all right um Corey yeah I know I've been quiet but I absolutely have That's plenty okay. of questions so I just didn't want to interrupt <laughs> I was enjoying listening no 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 um so if you have, yeah the floor is yours right now buddy so uh Miss Adrian, the first thing I have to ask you, because my real introduction to you, believe it or not, was Selena Kyle, Catwoman, on one of my favorite all-time shows when I was a kid, and that's Batman the Animated Series. So I would be remiss if it wasn't my first question of just how did you get into voice acting? Because it's more common nowadays, but you know, I think back to the early 90s, there really wasn't a ton of established actors that were going from film and TV to voice acting. So I was just kind of curious, was that a tough transition and kind of what pushed you into that? Cause I mean, you did a great job. I mean, but I was just interested in that. It, it actually happened about 1984 when my first son was born and I was adamant that I, you know, I wasn't going to take another television series that uh, it's certainly not a, a, a film television series where there were two people working 14 hours a day, five days a week. And, um, uh, and I really wanted to, you know, be with my son. I didn't want to work full time. And just as I was thinking that 
I got a call from an agent at William Morris who had seen me on $20,000 Pyramid. And she said, you know, I think you've got a great voice for doing commercials and doing animation. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? And so I went off and I, I took classes in animation because I'm not a cartoon person. I'm not, I don't watch them. I, I, you know, I didn't grow up watching them or anything. And, and, um, and she started sending me out. I, I, I may have at that time already been doing books on tape. I, I, I don't know where that came from, but I realized early on that I had the facility for doing books on tape. Oh, I didn't even know uh, that. I had no clue you even did that. Yeah, I did a lot. I did all of Anne McCaffrey's science fiction series. I did Eric von Lesbatter, I think that was his name. And, uh, oh, you know, they were doing them in L.A. And I was one of the go-to people in those days. Um, so then it was just, you know, I had a, a voiceover agent and she sent me out. And I did end up, I think, changing agents. Maybe she left or something. And. And one day I just got a call from the agency saying, um, uh, we need you to come into the office. We've got an audition for Batman, for Catwoman for Batman. Well, I had never, I had never really watched Batman. I didn't really have anything, you know, anything in my mind, but I just went in. It was just a 30 second audition. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, six lines of dialogue, 10 lines of dialogue. And I just said it the way I, thought Catwoman would sound. And um, they called me about a month later and said, well, you got the job. But I, I guess I had done some cartoons before that. Maybe I had done Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island before that. I don't really remember the sequence. Right. Um, uh, if you go to my website, I just posted, I just put together a, uh, a video, a demo reel of my cartoon of my animation voices and my um my video game voices and uh, it does make me laugh because some of them are really old and i'm thinking god is that how i sounded <laughs> you know <laughs> in fact I, when I, I was in new zealand a year ago working on cowboy bebop in, in a hotel room and from my living room i heard you know, it sounded like it was Batman on, on the screen. And I walked in and I thought, and I looked at it and it was Batman. And I thought, is that my voice? Did I do this episode? I had to look it up because it sounded so different to me. <laughs> and, uh, but it was. And, um, and so that's, that was the beginning of it. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, these days, it has become a, an extremely competitive business in the last, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And uh, so mostly, I mean, sometimes I get called. I just finished doing another big video game. Um, uh, and I just finished doing a, a, an animated film for Warner Brothers. Hmm. Sometimes I get called and they just say, you know, we think your voice would be great for that. Or sometimes I... I go into my studio and I audition. I put down, now, you know, ever since the pandemic, we do most of our, our auditioning from the house. You know? Convenient, yeah. Yeah. 
So, so that's a long explanation of my career as a voice person. Although what I will add is one of my other favorite jobs that I do now all the time is that I narrate films and television series for the blind. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I really do enjoy that. It gives me an opportunity to see things I'd never see. And, um, and you know, it's just, uh, it's, I enjoy it. It's something I, I can do well and, uh, and have a good time doing and, and provide a service to a certain extent. No, absolutely. I mean, you definitely have the voice for it. Absolutely. Um, so I guess my next question I want to segue into is something completely different. Uh, I was talking with my wife and telling her that, you know, I was going to be speaking and interviewing you and, you know, my wife's not into film or, you know, uh, TV or anything too much. So, you know, when I said Adrian Barbeau, she's like, who? And then I, I instantly knew she was a huge fan of Carnival. So I said, Ruthie, and she just started uh. geeking out as soon as she found out I was going to be talking to Ruthie. So I just have to ask a question about Carnival. So I'm imagining <clears throat> in my head, cause it, it only lasted for two seasons. So you were only on there for two years. Did you guys have like a family atmosphere? Because I know, you know, back in that time with the Carnies, it, it really was like a separate world and a separate family. Uh, did you and all the other great actors that were on that show kind of have that rapport and kind of have like a on set family there? I just imagine cause there was such a ensemble cast with that show. Yes. So I, I was yes. just curious about that. Everybody on that show was just wonderful to work with from the, the writers and the producers and the caterers, and everybody, the crew and the <laughs> actors. Yeah. Um, Tim Decay has remained one of my closest friends. I, I helped his kids get into a, a certain school here in LA. I mean, I said, you got to go look at this school because that's where my kids went. I think you'll like Deborah. All of them, all of them. It was, uh, it, it's a joy to to run into them when I do and to see them. Um, it was a wonderful job. Your wife has good taste. I thought she was going to say General Hospital. And I thought, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but no, it was, it was one of my all-time favorite jobs. I just, I love the character. I love the, the writing. Uh, it was close to my house so I could drop the kids off at school and still get to the set. <laughs> and, uh, it was just fantastic and a real, real disappointment when it went off the air. It was a very expensive show to produce because it all took place in the thirties. And, um, HBO was coming off of their big hits, the Sopranos and six feet under and cable was just getting started really and they wanted the same kind of viewership that they had on the sopranos i think had they stayed with us one more year they would have found it because there are so many people who still you know is is carding hall coming back <laughs> well no that was you know that was in 2005 <laughs> and, um, uh, I mean, you never know, man. Well, I hate to say, you know, we, like I, that I'm guy. I'm sure but... we'd all be there. I don't, I, and I think we're oh, all sure. available. <laughs> In fact, I don't, I don't. You'll probably realize this. Um, Clea Duval, who was mm -hmm. the, you know, one of the leads in Carnival. Right. The, yeah. Clea was one of the hostages in Argo. In Argo. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we got mm -hmm. to work Small together world. again. 
Yeah. Very nice. Um, okay. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about conventions. I know you're uh, you've been a big part of the convention business with people like Sean Clark, who do such a tremendous job with booking and catering to the clientele that he's got going in the in the circuit. Now, do do you see this convention boom continuing to grow, or has it peaked in your opinion, especially with the way it was forced to slow down a couple years back with the pandemic? Where's your since you since you're you've got a um, you know a bird's eye view of the the convention circuit like where do you see it now is it still like at that is, is are we still going through that convention boom so to speak as people call it or do you think that it's kind of just kind of dying down again like because I'm sure you've done conventions since the pandemic has lifted and stuff I've so. I've just done a couple Ed um, okay. I I don't do many anyway, but but since the uh, pandemic lifted, I, I've done maybe three, two or three. Um, oh, really? And I, I think so. Hmm. Uh, I remember the first one, <laughs> and then I just did one in Cincinnati, and I, I maybe I've done. You, you know, there there are a couple that. I, I, I just continued to turn down because they were in, in places that I thought was, I, I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to do that. But no, that's fine. to ask, hmm, I tell you, I was really shocked at how many people did come out for the conventions after the pandemic because Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going through a, you know, people are hard pressed to pay for gas. And it, it just shocks me that that still so many people come, you know, to. Because they're fun. I, mean, I, can, I, I can speak from a personal level as a fan. You know, they're just, they're, there's not a better time than a convention, especially when, you know, you like me. Like I'm a fan of horror, the genre, so I love going to horror conventions in general. And every time I go to one, and I've been going to them for the last 20 years now, um, I just feel like I'm at home, you know? I feel like the horror community is exactly that, a community. Even though you've never seen these people before in your life, you're all there for one specific reason, you know? You're all fans of the same thing for the most part, and, you know... And I feel like the, the, the horror fans are the nicest, most down-to-earth people. Well, and uh, that, I wouldn't, I'd, that I can agree with you on. I, I, am, yeah. I am not a person who has ever collected anything, even from my own stuff. And, right. and I, I still find it... Uh, you still don't get I it. I still <laughs> don't really get it. I don't know. I think but it's just I an atmosphere thing. It. I appreciate it, and it, you know, it's so gratifying to to, right. to be there and to be able to talk to the fans and to to hear what they have to say and what they're thinking and what. And, but I do understand what you're saying that it is. It's a shared experience. It's like my sister mm-hmm. going to the Giants games in San Francisco. I mean, that is a shared experience for my family, not me. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, it's not for everyone, I guess. Everybody's yeah. There uh, because but... they love 
what's going on. And so I do understand it from that point of view. I, I do see, because I did start doing them, um, well, I, I, I think I did the first one in 1997 and I had such an unpleasant experience uh, because the people who were sort of representing me were not very courteous yeah. and I, I just thought it was right. all sort of venal and I didn't like it. And it wasn't until several years later that um, D. Wallace convinced me to try it again. But I remember <laughs> those early ones. So let's say if that was nice. So in the early 2000s, um, right. You know, you'd see the same people all over the country had come to these not very large conventions. Um, and and it, there was a real sense of camaraderie. And and we got to know the fans because we saw them, you know, two months later at another place and they'd come up. And, and uh, mm. so I do see how how incrementally it has the, the community has grown and right. um and how and, and and it's i guess it's branched out i'm going to be doing a, a comic convention in uh in july in austin which oh. is because of batman you know and that's a whole, okay. that's a whole uh, different okay. thing from a horror convention uh and so uh and then now with with what do they call it cosplay and um, oh yeah you know it, it, they are interesting i keep waiting for somebody <laughs> and maybe somebody has but i keep waiting for somebody to make a documentary about them <laughs> but uh it, it's a fascinating community and a very supportive community oh yes they 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 definitely they they're out there there's one particular documentary that I always recommend to people um, one that Jamie Lee Curtis did one convention back in 10 years ago back in 2012 in Cincinnati I think it was Horror Hound she did a one and, one and only horror convention um, and her sister uh, yeah it was her sister documented the entire weekend and uh, just edited it down to an hour and a half documentary and it's on um, the original Halloween, one of the editions that were put out, I think Screen Factory put it out or Anchor Bay, one of those two put out one of the thousands of editions of the, the original Carpenter Halloween and uh, that special feature was added to it and um, you can watch it on YouTube right now if you want me to be honest but it's a really good documentary and it gives uh, people who don't really understand it a, a bigger sense of you know what goes on behind the scenes and stuff like that and, you know sometimes they're not always as easy going as it seems there's things happen you know at conventions and uh i think that for, uh, uh, there's not too many documentaries out there but that that the one that jimmy lee curtis's sister did i think the documentary is called the night she came home hmm. is uh and it's i always tell people to check that one out it's really good um in-depth documentary about the the business and of course it's jamie lee curtis someone who swore off conventions and was never going to do one and finally got uh convinced by sean clark of all people to do one and uh yeah it's like i said it's a really good documentary that i uh all right implore you all to check out if you're listening so um so i know 
outside of you know conventions and and your acting that horror it's not really your cup of tea really like, <laughs> no it's not <laughs> i didn't think so it's not <laughs> but it's not going to stop me from asking anyway if you're familiar with or keep up with any of today's hard like standout films like uh Ty West, he just put out a film called X, or Adam Wingard had a film called Your Next, or the big one is Ari Aster, he has a couple of films, one of them is Midsommar, and the other one's Hereditary, that got a lot of buzz, just didn't know if you were familiar with them, or if, um... I am not, the only, no. the only time I see films is when I am narrating them for the blind, and I do, do, I do a lot of uh, Blumhouse films, I did Firestar, okay, I did Firestarter and I did, uh, okay. oh, what was that one? Something in Soho, a night in Soho. Oh, last night in Soho. Last night in Soho. And there was, an, so, but that's, that's my favorite film of last year. That's the only time I see them. And I'm looking at, you know, my, my script mm-hmm. in front of the screen. So I don't gotcha. see them completely, but no, I, I, I've never, it, I hate to tell you, but I've never heard of the three titles you just mentioned. Hey, it's okay. I, I, like I said, <laughs> I, I knew, you know, you were not a fan, at least. So I just, you know, I'm just curious. That's all. I did see Quiet um, Place and I loved it. I mean, we went with for the boys, one of the boys' birthdays, I think. And, mm-hmm. and I, I was, I, I loved it. I mean, I thought it was so well done. And, um, and, Oh, what was the other one? Don't, don't look net. No, what was that one? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to know. <laughs> it does right. Um, yeah. Uh, Cody, yeah, your son, Cody, he's doing, I just got to say that he's doing some great work with, uh, his father, with, uh, the music. Uh, you know, you mentioned Firestarter. I know that, uh, they did that. And, uh, of course, the Halloween films. Yep. And and uh, I I know you're proud. You you have to be. He's just doing such great work. I'm and, very uh, I'm very proud of all three of my boys. <laughs> I'm really really proud of all three of them. His yeah. his nice. his one brother is. Uh, in fact, his one brother has just produced his first song for a major motion picture, uh, for Elvis. Oh. The the movie Elvis coming out. Yes. Um, uh, and he has, he is a, uh, primarily, a, a, a you know, a hip hop producer, uh, but he produces everything, uh, mm-hmm. has, a, his, a platinum record already and a, a gold record and, and Cody's other brother, uh, is, uh, designing and, uh, he has his own company, at designing and product managing for, uh, several major uh names uh and uh i'm I'm just really proud of all three of them as you should be um cory did you have anything you wanted to add real quick well i was just gonna say you should be proud because that movie firestarter i'm not a big fan of that film but the score was the best part honestly i was watching the movie just gotta have listened to the score i keep hearing that, that's what I hear. That's that's what I read. <laughs> you know, I have Cody Gould, you know, what do you call it? Google search or whatever. And the reviews yeah. are constantly popping up. And that's the first thing everybody says is the music was fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, what was it like returning to Creepshow for Shudder's inaugural episode of the series? You worked with Tobin Bell and uh, Giancarlo Esposito. It was fun. It was fun. I was, you know, it was, there was a certain like, oh, this isn't, this isn't Billy, you know. Right, right. This isn't a role I'm going to really have a great time with and chew the scenery with. And a little hesitation because I had never <clears throat> worked with Greg Nicotero. And as soon as I got on the set within the first 10 minutes, I thought, okay. I'm in good hands here. And so okay. it, it was just, it was a fun, it was a fun week. And it was fun to work yeah. with Tobin again. We had just done, we had just played an incestuous brother and sister on, um, I think it was Criminal Minds. And, um, and we had also wow. done another, another horror film prior to that. So it was, it was, it was good to work with Tobin again too. And I had never met Giancarlo, and and it was just a really nice week. Very good. That's, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that episode. I, I actually do like the uh, the Creepshow series. Um, it's 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 it's, fun. it's a nice little fun series that Shutter's got going on still. And um, I, have I was, a, I was a, what was that? Because it's a horror. You know? <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, I know, but it's still there's something about it. Like I'm, I'm kind of picky about my horror, especially like when it comes to just IP titles like Creepshow. Like I something I grew up on. Uh, but no, I think that the show it's in good hands. Um, like your episode Gray Matter was a really good one, and uh, there's just, there's been a bunch. Um, I know that they're not the longest seasons, but you know there's I think they do uh two ep- two stories every episode and they're fun while they last they're they're short seasons they're like six or seven episodes then they're done for about a year then they come back so but you know I, I like it like I said um yeah just got a few more questions and then we're gonna wrap up okay. and th- these are these are real simple I just kind of you know I, I before we went live I gave you a heads up that you probably heard a bunch of these questions a million times in your career but i just had to know personally um what was it like working alongside harry dean stanton <laughs> i have to know i, I gotta <laughs> hear this story or, or if there are, if there are any stories like i i know you have to have you, you know, know it, 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 i'm one of those people, harry's great i'm one of those people who doesn't remember much about her career i remember everything about you know, my personal life, and I don't remember everything about my kids' school life or anything. But the only thing I really remember about Harry Dean, it seems to me that there was a day, John, uh, having written the script, um, mm-hmm. well, no, he didn't write that. Well, wait a minute, what are we talking about? We we're talking about Escape. Escape yeah. from New York. Yeah. Um, John, at that time at least, was not a director who wanted his actors to ad lib and Uh, i do have the sense that at one point you know harry was like you know sort of going off and i just sort of remember john saying no no harry let's just you know stay with the words on the page we don't remember much else i mean he was great um that's fine but i don't all i the only thing that really there were two things that stand out to me about escape one was donald pleasance because he was the funniest 
actor I've ever worked with. I think. <laughs> I mean, he just, I, he just had me on the floor all the time, and I loved. <laughs> he just made me laugh. And Ernie uh, was um, preparing a uh, a one man show, Ernest Borgnine. Right, right. And I Copy. just, I have a vision of him sitting in the lobby of our hotel sort of anxious because he had to memorize an hour and a half worth of monologue. It was a one-man show. And he was just, you know, he just, that's how he spent his time in my memory was working on those lines. And I, I, uh, I, I just sort of remember saying, Ernie, you're going to be great. You know, don't, don't worry about it. You're going to be great. So those are, those are just the two. And I remember, um, Oh my gosh. Who played the who played the Duke? My mind is going. Isaac Hayes. Isaac. I remember Isaac. Yep. Yep. We didn't have much to do, but he was a, a real gentleman. I just okay. he, he was a gentle man. I you know, I remember sitting next to him on a bench and we were just chatting and he was just he was just a very I, I, I got the sense from him of just a very gentle person. I could be totally wrong. Maybe other people have worked with him, had a different impression of him, but that's, those are the things no. I remember. And that's fair because I, honestly, I wrote the question down because, well, A, I'm a big Escape from New York fan, but also um, recently uh, Screen Factory, one of the uh, indie boutique labels for, you know, physical media, they just released uh, or re-released rather Escape from uh, New York in 4K format, and I picked it up last week from Best Buy, and I was watching it the other day, and, you know, it's one of my favorite films of the 80s, and, yeah, just watching it, of course, it's in the background, and I'm just thinking of questions to for our conversation, and that was kind of, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, you Escape from New York, kind of add a couple questions about that movie, so, and, of course, you know, your character's paired up with Harry Dean Stanton for the majority of it, so... Naturally, that's why I asked about how working with him was. And if you don't remember, that's fair enough. It's been 41 years. Give or take. I mean, it was, so. it, was I, 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 it was great. I, you know, right, all, yeah. all five of the guys were just fantastic to work with. Uh, it's just I don't remember anything specific, except maybe that one day when John wanted him to not ad lib. <laughs> I just sort of remember that. So I'm assuming if I ask you kind of a similar question about working with Wes Craven, you'll give me the same response. Um, unfortunately, Wes had, <laughs> um, Wes had so much on his plate filming, okay. you know, directing that film because the, the, um, the studio kept undercutting his budget that, uh, I really didn't, I mean, Certainly, he was he was wonderful to work with, but we didn't get a chance to spend much time together away right, from the set. You. you know, he mm-hmm. was. We were working long hours. When we finished, he went to dailies. I went home, and um, and I just didn't get a chance to to really connect with him on a on a social level uh, as I did with John, and of course, John married to him and George Romero and, and um, but he did a fantastic job because the odds were against him with them you know 
I mean, we showed up, I've told this story a thousand times, but we showed up on the set one day and there was no makeup trailer because they hadn't paid the bill, you know, and he was having to rewrite scenes and throw characters out. And, and you know, we didn't have the props we needed and the, tr the Jeep didn't work. And it was just, it was a nightmare for a director. And the fact that it turned out as it did was all because of Wes. Well, of course, the driving force behind the film. Um, all right. Well, uh, Corey, any closing questions? I guess my last one would just be a real quick one. Um, what was your favorite role just in anything, whether it, it was your one of your stage roles or TV or movies? Like, what did you just have the most fun with uh, that stands out to you? I think my favorite role to do was Ruthie in Carnival. Followed by, well, I love Billy in Creepshow. Yeah, <laughs> and, I was going to say, I know she likes Billy. She is my favorite role maybe to watch because <laughs> she's just so outrageous. Um, but I loved Ruthie. I really loved awesome. Ruthie. My wife will like to hear that. I, and I'm a huge fan of the show too, but uh, my wife is what got me into it. So she'll love to hear that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, and I guess my final question is, uh, what does Adrian Barbo's future look like? What can we expect next? Well, I've got uh, another film that I'm going to be doing later this summer. Uh, I just did a short film that is making the festival circuit right now. Nice. I... Uh, is coming up just did that finish this video game which is supposed to be huge i think it's coming out in november but i'm not sure i can say the name oh, okay <laughs> um it's from the same people i believe that did fallout 76 i was the uh, overseer oh, of fallout 76 but is, is that bethesda Corey? uh correct blind light uh, yes bethesda i guess it is bethesda yeah and um Let's see what else is going on. Well, we'll see what happens with this pilot script if it finds a home, and right. uh, you know. And and in the meantime, I'm I'm narrating all your favorite TV dramas. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, guys, you can pick up Adrian's new book. Grease, tell me more, tell me more. Stories from the Broadway phenomenon that started it all. Available on Amazon and all bookstands beginning June 7th. Yeah, again, just thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's been this, awesome. This thank you. Been an honor. Thank you. Thank you both. I enjoyed and, it. Uh, well, thank you. That means a lot. So, all right then. Um, that's This has been another episode of A Conversation with... I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. We'll see you next time.
This concludes our broadcast day.